You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast 460. I'm Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello. So it's uh, kind of a lazy here in uh, the U.S., lazy Sunday morning, and uh, trying to avoid the news because it just keeps proving over and over how dumb so many people are. And um, so what I do is go to the public freakout thing on Reddit, and uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a time sink, I tell you. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a big big bag of stupid. It's kind of what it is. I mean, you know, I I like to be informed. A lot of that stuff they'll show on there is. Um, uh, when police do some um, racial profiling and things like that, yeah. and that pisses me off. But then there's other times that they'll have a story, and you're just like, "That's to- that's not what that was." I just yeah. watched one, uh, and it actually happened not far from me. It happened in Grand Rapids, Michigan, this week. Um, there was a realtor showing a house. He was black. The father was black. That's looking to buy the house, and the son is black. And they're showing this house. And the police show up, have them come out one by one, put them in handcuffs until they establish that this guy is a realtor. But Mm -hmm. the thing was, the house was broken into five days before, and uh, they arrested that person, but he had been let out. And the car that the realtor drove was very similar to the car that the guy who broke into the house was. So a neighbor had actually called and said, that guy's back. He's breaking into the house again. Yeah. And they said, well, this is racial profiling. And I was thinking, uh, no, no, it's, it's not. Uh, you know, the police, uh, they even apologized to the people right then. They were like, sorry about yeah. this. And, you know, the cops were like, yeah, your car match. A neighbor called, said it was the same guy. And even then the, the realtor was like, yeah, I understand. My car does look like that black Mercedes and, and everything was good. But yeah. then after the fact, they go and interview. They're like, we think well, this is racial profiling. And I'm thinking... Uh, I think yeah. you're thinking lawsuit is what I'm thinking. Uh, and also as well, I, I'm just looking at clip now. Not many realtors show people around the house in a white tank top. Nope. nope. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you if you want to, uh, I'm not I'm not so, but most realtors kind of dress up a little bit for yep. the job. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, great. I'm not saying I'm not saying he doesn't have a right. No, to, but uh, to show in a white you look tank like a, top, if you look like a if, painter or something. <laughs> Exactly. Your credibility as a realtor. You can't, might, yeah, yeah, exactly. When you say I'm a realtor and you look like you're <laughs> you're out for a jog, right? Uh, some 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 police officers, regardless of the color of your skin, might say, uh, "Yeah, I'm not sure I'm buying that until I check it out." And they did. They didn't hurt anybody. They pulled them out. Guns were drawn, which well, I get. I mean, they yeah. think someone's breaking into the house. Yeah, I know. I, well, I I do uh, from this side of of the pond. Yeah, where we don't have regularly have armed police officers. I, I I do have some sympathy with the view that if you arm police, the first thing they reach for is a gun, and that is a dangerous situation no matter what happens. That can go wrong very quickly. Oh, agreed. And I, I think, um, you know, my, my personal view is much like our police officers, officers here, you have to expect that um, there's a, there is an inherent amount of danger involved in your job, and that doesn't mean that you get to use potential lethal force or the or the the, the you know provo- provoke the potential use of lethal force just at every single interaction with somebody yeah i think drawing a gun on somebody um 
as as your starting point is a dangerous place to start from. Oh, 100% agree. But yeah. even with that, this was not racial profiling. I don't no. see that the police did anything wrong. They report yeah. they responded to a potential break-in. Yeah. You know, someone called this in. Please show no, up. I'm, there yeah. are people in the house. He doesn't look like a realtor the way he's dressed. And you know, if it was a Century Twenty One guy, he would have had the gold jacket and everything. Yeah. Um, but you know, they pull him out, they handcuff him, they check the ID, they see that he is a realtor. They uncuff everyone. They apologize. They explain what happened. The officer apologized again, yeah. and that was it. And they're yeah. like, "We're traumatized." Well, maybe, maybe be traumatized because your your realtor is dressed like a freaking realtor. Dress for the yeah, job you yeah. want, not the job you have. And and not only that, I mean, everyone would be traumatized by being arrested. Sure. By the police. But they weren't arrested. Be, they were be, detained. Yeah. But, but yeah. But having an interaction with the police. And, and I do have some sympathy with the fact that, obviously, as I was alluding to recently, um, you know, as a, as a black person being arrested by the police, there, there is a real concern sure. that it might go south 100%. very quickly. So I understand that. But it's not those particular police officers' fault. It's not even the person who called the cops, even though sometimes that is a that is the where the racial profiling starts. Yes. Um, in in this case, it does appear to be a case of everybody was doing the right thing, and as traumatic as it was, it's what you have to do in society. I, in some respects, I'd pull the police for responding to that. In Britain, you probably wouldn't get the police come running like that. Um, if, if I saw somebody break into a house and I called up the police, they will say, we'll send somebody when we have time. Yeah, let's do that right no. now. <laughs> let's do an experiment. Grab your phone real quick. Yeah, I'm looking across the street. I've just seen that one of my neighbors go back in his house. Let's yep. call, the, call the police up and say, I think somebody's broken in. Yep, I saw someone go into that house. I didn't recognize them. You do it for your street. I'll do it for mine. We'll see yep. whose police responds quicker. Right. You yep. know what? And then we you'll joke- do it tomorrow and say, I saw a black man going across the street in the house. I didn't recognize them. We're joking. Say- We're joking. But, you know, for clicks on um, on uh, Reddit or TikTok, people do stuff like that. But unfortunately, I, I, I will say, if you call and say, I, I think I saw it, the guy going into the house over there, he didn't look familiar, and you say, it was a... Uh, a young black man, I I bet you you would see a faster response there too. Mm, well, I, I not not in um, not in Salford. Yeah, you in, would think in, so. No, no, in, where I live here, um, basically all the locals are on the same kind of level of, uh, you know, the the racial thing because is, is much less of a deal because um, all the all the white people here are just like to be criminal criminals as as black people. Yeah. Mm. I hope, you, respect, I, I, I hope you're that, right. In that respect, Britain is a more multicultural society than the States, is that, you know, all, <laughs> all of all of our people here are just as likely to be criminals. In in this part of the world, anyway. Solved. Well, they are here, too, actually. Yeah. In fact, more white people are criminals in the U.S. than I, white I, people. I, I, would say, I would say in Salford, it's probably, uh, it's, there's probably a good 50-50 mix. Yeah. Um, no, I would assume that it's probably more white people. If you have more white people, you're going to have more people that are white committing crimes and you're going to have of other races committing crimes. That's just yeah. demographically. <laughs> yeah. That's how, that's what it is. So anyway, I think, I think we're, we're probably we, we straying beyond our, too. beyond our rounds of yeah. expertise now. Yeah. So. <laughs> so that's seven minutes we don't get back. Yeah. Um, so I see you've got, and you, t- you kind of talked about this in the chat with me. Uh, a text anyways that you got fiber now what's going on you finally got good internet sweet six years my long national nightmare 
is finally over. So yeah, we um we saw all the all the um infrastructure, the internet infrastructure put into the ground in the UK is done by one company called BT Openreach, which who aren't actually really part of BT anymore. Um and um so if you want internet, no matter who you get it from, you either get cable from a cable company, and there's only one or two cable companies in the UK. It's not ubiquitous like it is in the US. Um, it's not or, that. It's not that here either. Well, yeah, very it, few it, communities have more than one cable provider. Well, yeah, but here, very few communities have even a cable provider because cable TV was never really a big thing here. So um, you either get your internet through through the cable company, the TV cable company, and there's only one or two of those, or you get it from uh, infrastructure put in by OpenReach, but then because it's been privatised, it's provided by another company, BT or themselves. But it's all actually provided as one national infrastructure. So you can only get what you've got. You can't, um, you can't um, have a competing company come in and put better service in. It's all provided by the same underlying infrastructure. So when we moved into this house, which is was brand new when we moved into it, we watched it being built before we before we moved in. Um, we were <laughs> disappointed to find we could not get anything less, better than um, DSL connection, which uh, told out between four and five megabits per second, depending on how busy the network was that day. And it was, it was, re- we struggled with that for a, for a few years. It really was quite terrible. Um, I remember from the beginning. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, well, I, I st- I'm still doing it now, but not, not on 4G. But for a, a long time, I've been recording this show through my phone on 4G um, to speak to you just because I couldn't rely on the local internet. Right. So the last few years, last couple of years, I've been using, uh, we, we started, we switched to a 4G connection using a, a mobile router talking to local 4g network and that was faster uh and then in the last uh since we went to lockdown i switched to 5g which is much much faster but the problem with even with the 5g is that um it's not stable it depends on what's going on with the network and also as well sometimes on the weekends it would go off completely because the um 5g mobile mask was being worked on or, or part of the infrastructure was being worked on um and it, we we kind of had to protect it I only put certain devices on it because I, I didn't want also to, to be using it too much and have the network throttle me. So um, that's been a little bit up and down as well. But last summer we saw open reach vans in the area and they'd be kind of working back and forth. And we, we kept on our couple of people kept on asking the engineers, Oh, well, well, does this mean we'll get internet here? We'll get internet here. And, and of course the engineers will go, Oh yeah, sure it was without actually really knowing. Because uh, they were just putting cables on the ground, um, and um, it's it's gradually been been becoming available on different parts of the estate uh, over the last sort of six months or so. And I just happened to see a Facebook post from somebody saying, "Oh, you know, it looks like I can order it now." So, um, and there's somebody else going, "Yeah, well, I've tried to order it, and they said no." So I went online and had a look, and I and I know the right places to check. So I saw that OpenReach themselves were saying we had fibre here now. But most of the companies, except for BT, were saying we still couldn't get it, presumably because databases hadn't been updated. So I put in an order for the fastest thing I could buy. Um, and uh, I spent the, the next sort of five days waiting for the engineers to come, waiting for an email to say, oh, sorry, we made a mistake, you can't have it. Uh, and even the day the guy arrived, he kind of um, pulled something up at the front of the house and put a probe down and then it stopped. I said, oh, that's blocked, is it? He went, yep. 
uh, and I thought I was waiting for him to say, oh, you can't have it then. He said, I need to call somebody to fix that. So somebody came out. Uh, and yeah, within about two and a half hours, I had uh, blissful 900 megabits per second fiber directly to the house. That's pretty awesome. Well, it's it's so awesome that it's actually faster than my Wi-Fi. <laughs> so the only way I can actually see the actual speed is I've got one computer, my Plex machine, which is plugged via Ethernet directly into the jack. And so I can see the actual speed there. But all the other Wi-Fi in the house is about half as much as what the Internet speed coming in can provide. Um, Time to upgrade but, your Wi-Fi then? Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's that's what I'll do is, is obviously I'll start looking at upgrading devices and, yeah. and what have you now. And you um, don't need anything as complex or as robust as a mesh network or anything, do you? Not not really. Mm-hmm. The house, the, because the houses here, are, the British houses are very small. Um, yeah, you don't house, need that kind of coverage. Yeah, the house is quite narrow. Um, it's tall. It's three stories rather than two. So um, I don't really need a mesh. I've, I've put an extender... Uh, just like a, a like a rebooster down in the um, in the kitchen at the back, so that I can use the internet in the garden. Because the router, where the router comes in for the fibers at the front of the house on the middle floor. In fact, it's right in front of me where I'm recording now. But uh, if I want to use it in the garden, it's a little bit far away for the Wi-Fi. So I've just put a, a booster in there so that I can reach it on a different network from the garden if I'm working in the garden. But inside the house, it's fine. You get coverage everywhere. So I'm looking forward to the day that we don't have to worry about your slow uh, network speeds anymore. Well, this is the day. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I mean, but, you know, once you get the better Wi-Fi. Oh, well, I, don't, I, I, I just checked on, on the devices I'm using here. I get 450 megabits Wi-Fi here. You know, so uh, it's not going to be a problem. We'll, we'll discuss this on the next um, Geeks Pub, but uh, Suicide Squad came out on HBO Max, the new Suicide Squad. Alexander went. The, Alexander went to see it last night with his uh, with his lady friend. So you know, I, I've been wanting to see this movie. the The trailer looks great, and Brooke and I, well, Felix and I, um, mm-hmm. watched it last night. Okay. And I have to say, the HBO Max app for uh, Roku sucks. Yeah. Uh, it's just terrible. I mean. It's slow. I thought there was something wrong with my network, so I jumped over to YouTube, and it was streaming and bringing it down very, very fast. No hiccups, no anything. And then I go back to HBO Max, and it's it's stuttery for the first minute or so. And I'm just like, HBO is a big company. You know, they're owned by Warner Brothers. They have cash. Why am I getting a crappy app at this point in time? I don't, I don't get it, you know, cause they, they announced they're going to have all these first run movies this year in 2021 open on HBO max and the theaters same day. Yeah. But it's the same, it's exactly for the same reason why you can buy an expensive car and the further down towards the floor you get, the more plastic the interior becomes. It's purely because they think they can get away with cutting some costs down there. Eight people at HBO Max think they can get away with having a crappy app rather than a brilliant app because their attitude is, well, if it works and people can see the movies, that's good enough. They don't care if the user experience sucks. Yeah, you're, I mean, not, look at, you're not wrong. Look at every remote on every TV yeah. you've ever yeah. bought. They're all <laughs> terrible, every one of them. Yeah, it's disappointing, but, I mean, at, once we got past that first minute, we were getting 4K down, and, uh, you know, my TV is an HDR, so it looked great, no question. Yeah. And the audio was great and all that, but 
it was just disappointing that I, it, it delayed us watching the movie five minutes, just checking to see if there was something wrong other than the app itself. And no, it was the app. I, I didn't even know that that movie was available on streaming because Alexander went to see it in the theater. Well, it is in the U.S. I don't know if they've released it there digitally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, remember, this is the whole Warner Brothers thing saying because of COVID-19, they're going to release every movie in theaters and on HBO Max. Day to day. Day of. And cool. uh, there's one coming up that I'm probably looking forward to the most. Uh, and I think it's at the end of the year, the Saints of, oh boy, I'm going to say the Saints of Newark. Um, let's see when this is supposed to come out. Uh, October 1st. Um, this one I'm really looking forward to. The uh, synopsis is Young Anthony Soprano. So right there. So this is a pre-Sopranos movie. Right. And the kid playing Anthony Soprano is the actor's son. Okay. And boy, does he look like his dad. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, not, I mean, that's October seems like it's a while away, but it's really not. You know, that's two months. Yep. Yeah, no, no we're, we're definitely in that, that kind of, you get into this kind of dog days of summer thing where all of a sudden you start oh, sorry, realizing the end. The many saints of Newark. All right. But you, yeah, you realize the end of the year is kind of barreling towards you and you don't realize. Michael Gandolfini is playing young Tony Stark or Tony Stark, <laughs> Tony Soprano. Now, now that'd be Two different Tonys. <laughs> well, let's, let's hope, let's hope the kid can act. Did you, have you ever watched Sopranos? No. Really? Yeah. I've never seen it. So that's the end of tech fan this week. We'll be back uh, <laughs> with my new co-host next week. <laughs> Speaking of co-host, I do want to give a shout out to Guy Searle for joining me last week. You were sick, or not last week, the week the before. The week before last, yeah. Um, the last episode of Tech Fan. Uh, you were ill, and Guy graciously stepped in very early in the morning on a Sunday to do a show with me, and it was nice talking to Guy again, you know? Yep. Yeah, it was good, and it was a good show. It was very interesting, uh, hearing about his... Um, his desk. His, his insane set up so well those of us on facebook that are friends with guy got to see he has so many audio inputs and processors and i just don't know why yeah yeah exactly i mean i get it he likes this stuff there's nothing wrong with that more power to him yeah why do you need that much stuff for what you're doing you is this video on facebook and then uh, you're yeah. recording audio yeah, I well, look, I I think I think we all know that that like ourselves, guys, a gadget hound, and uh, I don't, I, I'm not, I, I think I'm, I'm throwing a little shade, yeah. but I get he, it. It's all right. He's he's on that ceaseless search for the perfect setup. No, even means, if he found the perfect setup, there would be some new gadget that he'd have to try. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, nothing um, wrong with that, you know. And no, exactly. In fact, the thing I'm talking to you on now, the Roadcaster, is I first saw one uh, when when Guy had it at the uh, Mac Stock a few years ago. Yep. So um, yeah, there you go. So, I have something kind of going on a little bit here. Okay, tell me more. So, you know, I'm part of that Amazon thing, and I get free stuff. Yeah. Well, they yeah. had sent me a free um, PC, It's but it's one of the mini PCs. But yeah. it's very powerful, and I think I discussed already that I, I've set it up as a gaming machine. Yeah, you talked about it on the show with Guy. Yeah, and it's set up on my TV now here in the office. Um, but there's one thing I've 
and I'm going to be honest, I've been wanting to do this for a very long time and I just wouldn't, I was just never pulling the trigger on it because it was good enough as it is, but I wasn't really happy with the setup. And that was my Plex media server. It's literally running on my Mac that I use every day. And, um, I didn't like the fact that there, there was no reason to run it on the Mac because if I was doing other things and it decided it was going to do an update or it was going to start encoding some stuff, it would throw, it would slow things down a little bit. Yeah. Um, and plus, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think the Mac handles streaming content to other devices as well as Windows does. Mm-hmm. I think Windows does it better. I know Mac people out there are like, oh my God, no, it doesn't. I, I actually, I think it does. I well, I think the thing behind anything like Plex is that um, whichever system you're running on, ideally you want something standalone. You don't want something that you're actually using for something else. Correct. Uh, and the difficulty with doing that with a Mac is that that's quite expensive because Macs are expensive. Yep. And it seems like to to anybody who's ever used a Mac for a long time, it seems like such a waste to deploy it to just stream media. Whereas, you know, kind of with a Windows box, you kind of go, well, you know, I can get a cheap Windows box to copy one, which is what I do. I have, in fact, underneath my new fiber um, router and Wi-Fi box, I have my little uh, Lenovo Think Center, which is the same sort of thing you're talking about. It's a little tiny, um, it's half the size of a Mac mini box yep. that um, that basically just does all the Plex streaming and doesn't do anything else. It just sits there doing nothing. Well, I just um, And when I want to download something, I just RDP, uh, use remote desktop connection from Microsoft in, into it to take re- remote control of it on whatever device I've got. And I download what I want and stick it on its local drive so I can stick it in the Plex store. So I have, like I said, this little mini PC, but I've kind of dedicated that to gaming and I don't want that to do double duty. Yeah. Plus, I mean, I don't want to hook up a bunch of hard drives and all that stuff to it. So, yeah. so in their graciousness, Amazon has offered me... Um, a desktop mini PC, six gigs of RAM, 128 uh, MSATA SSD, Intel Celeron, Windows 10, blah, 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 yep. Wi-Fi. Uh, it does have um, Ethernet as well. But it's a little tiny computer. And I thought, yep. you know what? Plex I, I'm finally going to do it. This is going to be my yeah. Plex server. So I've got that. I bought two six terabyte uh, Seagate hard drives to connect much, to it. Do you, do you really have that much content? Uh, I'm running, my current one is a five terabyte drive and it's about 80% full. Okay, fair enough. So, so I bought, I've so got, I bought two. I've got, a, I've got a 128 gig flash drive in mine. <laughs> well, yeah, I should share my library with you to give you years of content. Um, so I, now one of those drives is going to be the drive itself. The other one is simply going to be the backup. So right. it's going to have its own yeah. backup. Yeah. I don't need, you know, 12 gig, 12 terabytes of online storage. Yeah. Six is fine. And I don't add as much to it as I used to. Um, in fact, I might add, I add family videos and stuff so we can watch family videos yeah. on the TV. But I don't really download anything to it like I used to anymore. No, because everybody streams streaming. everything now. Yeah. yeah. But I still want redundancy I, I still want that backup yeah i do have to look into what's the best for cloning a drive on the fly as changes are made on windows i haven't done too much of that mm-hmm. i mean on a mac carbon copy cloner done 
So there's a um, there's actually a, a thing called Always Sync, which is what I tend to use, um, and it works a little bit like uh, not. It's not Carbon Copy Cloner because Carbon Copy Cloner is a bit level thing. This is um, I'm trying to remember what it's called now. There's uh, effectively what it does is it is it sets up a a, a, fo- a folder you're monitoring and then any changes in that folder get immediately copied to a, to a, a a different folder so you can do it for a drive you can do it for a folder you can do it for, for a set of subfolders um and it just keeps them in sync all the time and for media that's all you need because yes. you're not bothered about bit level copies you're not bothered bothered about the underlying drive system you just want the files themselves to be yeah, copied exactly and it hand it always think hand will handle differential um, copies changes. as well so if something changes it won't recopy the entire file um, and it's available for free and it's really quite it, it's like many older Windows pieces of software it's not the most attractive piece of software in the world but it does the job and um, honestly it, it, this is all going to I bought so I bought two drives um, I bought a little shelf that's kind of configurable for the two drives and the media server and it's going to sit on my desk maybe uh, behind my Mac but the problem is it's a rat's nest back there. You know, I've got power strips and all that kind of stuff back there. Wires going everywhere. So when I do this, this is not going to happen today. Uh, when I do this, I'm going to redo all my power back there. So I bought, um, I'm trying to guess, but I'm just going to read it to you right off. Uh, a power strip. Uh, 12 outlets with four USB. I bought two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but something else I've been kind of meaning to do, and I just never did it. We all have those stupid bricks, power bricks. Yeah. And you plug that into a strip, and then you've killed two or three of your outlets in that strip. Yeah. So what I bought was um, a My80, M-I-A-D-Y, a My80, short power extension cord yeah um a 10 pack i got two of them so 20 yep i think didn't guy give that give you that he did he did yeah and uh i knew about this a long time ago but i always i it's things that you just don't remember and you forget about so with that fresh in my mind i bought two 20 packs to redo all my power in the back and Mm -hmm. this way i'll have so many of them i can leave a couple plugged in and just kind of free if i ever need to plug something into it so that's that's a problem that we don't tend to face in the UK because our sockets are much much bigger than yours. They're mm-hmm. about four times the size of yours. So it's it's quite rare for a power brick to actually block off the adjacent socket to it. I know it's a big problem in the US. It's huge. Yeah. I you know yeah. I've got yeah. one sitting behind um, my live track right now that is an eight strip, and I've got four things plugged into it. And I can't yeah. plug anything else into it. So when I last redid my my desk, which my home working desk, I bought a um, twelve way tower um, set of sockets. So it actually looks like a, it's like a cylinder with sockets on three sides, and it's got USB on one side. Um, and that's pretty good for not taking to up too much space when you've got loads of power bricks, because obviously everything goes vertically rather than horizontally. So. Um, uh, and it also makes the cable management much easier because you can get all the cables of the things that are going to be permanently plugged into that and you can then take them up or put uh, wraps around them or something like that to try and stop them turning into a rat's nest on the floor. Right. Um, my biggest problem right now is 
copying four and a half, four terabytes of data to these drives because these drives shipped, and I didn't realize it, in Windows NTS. Yeah, NTFS, yeah. Yep. And Macs can read them, but they can't write to them. Oh, well, yeah, the the way to do it, uh, the way I would do it is um, is set up the, the Plex PC, plug the drives into it, uh, and then run a uh, put an Ethernet cable between the two computers and do it over Ethernet. Mm. Still be kind of slow. Well, it'll be slow, yeah. But the thing is, you can just leave it running then because the Ethernet is reliable enough that it will it will just churn through until it's done. Yeah. Because your other option, unfortunately, would be to get some sort of NTFS driver running on your Mac and plug the drive directly into it. You don't want to do that because that that stuff goes down in the kernel level and it, it can make your system unstable. Yeah. Uh, and you'll have to pay for it because the only tools I'm aware of that can um, Fuse used to be able to do it, but it can't do it anymore because um, Fuse hasn't been updated for ages. So you'd have to get something. Uh, there's a piece of software from a company called Paragon that yeah. allows it to read NTFS drives. I, just, I was reading about that because yeah. it's only yeah. twenty bucks. Yeah, I know, but the, you've still got then got to pay for it and install it, and then hope it doesn't mess your system up. Um, I've used it in the past. I've never been particularly thrilled with the stability. They also do something I think is a bit more expensive, which works the other way around, which allows a Windows machine to read uh, um, Mac drives. Yeah, I don't want to so do that. So you could do that. But you don't want to do that because you want it in Windows format because it's going to be on a Windows computer. Yep. Yeah, I would I would definitely, if I, if I were in your, that position, I would, um, I would definitely... Uh, string ethernet between the sim machines and actually do it that way and then you can leave it running overnight and not worry about it um yeah i might just do that but one of my drives that amazon sent me is damaged right it's not showing up so i gotta return it and get a replacement yeah but i'm not gonna probably do most of this until next weekend anyways when i have my my long weekend if you will yeah so just i you know i just kind of wanted its own and let's be honest I don't turn my Mac off at all because it's running that server. Yeah. And I found if I put it to sleep and I wake it up, sometimes um, Plex won't, for whatever reason, will just kind of stop responding. It doesn't like sleep. Plex is um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a great piece of software. It's amazing the things it, it can do, but it, it, it sometimes is a little bit flaky. Yep. I mean, I, I occasionally have things where I put stuff in my library and it will appear on my on the Plex machine itself. So the way Plex works is it effectively it creates a web page for its interface, which I don't like personally. Um, I, I don't like the fact that it's running a local web server doing that, but it, that's the way it works. So I've, I sometimes put media into the Plex server and then go into the web interface on the Plex server to check it's been scanned and, and is available, and it shows up there. And I go downstairs to my Apple TV, and I fire up the Plex app, and it, it can't see the new stuff. Right. <laughs> I don't know whether it's a problem with the Plex client or the Plex server, um, but it's really annoying because, you, you know, normally in that situation, the people are sat there waiting to watch the thing you've just put on there and it isn't there, you know. Um, and sometimes I, there are some things as well that won't play through the Plex client on the Apple TV that will play through Infuse, which is my other video client. I presume that's a a format issue, which I've not been able to sort out. Of course, the downside of using a Celeron machine like you're going to be doing is you can't really do on-the-fly transcoding very well. Right. 
because normally that does need a, a powerful machine. But uh, the, 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 the way I deal with that, if, if I encounter that situation, is I just set the thing to re-encode in the background to something that's, that's more, uh, more friendly to my devices in the house, normally if I'm not in a rush. It's, uh, I just also think from a power management standpoint, it's just going to be better to run this whole thing on a tiny little PC that's not drawing well, a lot of power. Yeah, and, and my Plex server, um, it goes to sleep. Uh, I also have it set to go to sleep because I don't need it running all the time as long as it will wake up when something wants to talk to it. And I found that Plex on a Windows is pretty good at that. So uh, my one is regularly asleep. And normally when you fire up the Plex client, um, if I do it on my computer, I can see the thing kind of bursts into life. A little green light in the front starts flashing, which means the drive is working and it just comes on. Yeah. Um, and so you've got the best of all worlds then. You've got a dedicated machine, but it also, even though it's a little tiny thing, it's also not consuming that much power when you're not using it. Well, I tell you, it's been a while since I returned anything to Amazon. I was yeah. doing it while we were chatting here. All right. Okay. Yeah, I return stuff to Amazon all the time, so <laughs> well, I'm well. I'm well versed. Yeah. So you know. it says I just drop it off at a UPS store. Yeah. And it says do not box or label your return. So I just yeah. So okay. You just I'll take it in there and hand it to them. Like, oh, there you go. Yeah, because normally what they do is they put it in a in a special Amazon polythene bag and then they put the labels on it and they print it all for you and send it off. However depends on when they say a UPS store it depends on when you're going where you're going here in Britain quite a lot of what they call the UPS stores are like news agents and convenience stores yeah well, that, no, this is also, actually uh, okay Download yeah so turn code I've had I've had mixed results of going in with something unboxed to to a UPS store that's actually a convenience store um, because sometimes it's not something they don't do very regularly and you know, these are guys working in convenience stores. They don't like doing anything out in the ordinary. This so is an actual UPS store. So yeah, I'm, I'm so you'll be fine with that, that yeah. yeah. So so I, I sometimes get a little bit of huffing and puffing when I do that. Um, so actually what I tend to do nowadays, and this is the great, the best service I've found for Amazon Returns, I keep a lot of the Amazon cardboard from stuff that comes in. So yeah. I've always got boxes available. Um, and then what I do, anything I need to return, I package it up and then you can drop it into these uh, lockers not not just amazon lockers there's two or three companies that use lockers yeah I, uh, that was UK. an option here too as yeah. a locker but they and, were, and the, 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 the ups store was closer yeah the lockers for me are great because that means i can go any time of the day and night. i don't have to worry about the thing being open um and also it means that placing it in and making sure it's collected is basically my responsibility and then the company that's picking its up responsibility and i find that stuff tends to go missing less often than if i drop it to a convenience store or a news agent where sometimes i don't i don't think most of the time if things go missing it's because somebody's stolen them but i think you know it falls behind a counter or it gets kicked to the side um you know and then it just gets missed and then it's disappeared and then you get into a whole business about well did you drop it off who, who took it from you all this sort of thing. the lockers you kind of you scan it, they know you've put it in there, and then it's their problem. What's funny is I'm returning something to Amazon, which I don't, honestly, I don't do hardly ever. I can't remember the last yeah. time I had to return anything to Amazon. But I just watched, and I'm talking within 48 hours, a 25-minute news thing out of Canada about what happens to our e-waste. Now, this was right before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, 
it was in 2019, like October or something like that. And they put trackers inside their electronics and other stuff to see where these things are going. And it actually doesn't ever go back to Amazon. It goes to these companies that Amazon pays to take care of their returns. And these things aren't even looked at. They get it back at these places. This is probably what's going to happen to my drive. It goes to these places. Um, they stack them in, on pallets, and eventually they just sell the pallet to places. Yeah, well, there's been... Or they some throw big, them away. Yeah, yeah the, well, the, the throwing away is... The, here in Britain, there are there have been like hidden videos and things like that of what happens to waste in Amazon warehouses yeah. from disgruntled workers, and they are trashing an awful lot of perfectly good stuff now uh, and it caught it was it it was there were questions asked in parliament about this because people were so annoyed that it appeared that amazon was destroying pretty much everything that went back for returns now amazon in the uk said oh no well we, we we're going to stop labeling those <laughs> those um dumpsters as destroy because we don't destroy most of the stuff most of the stuff is either sent to professional recyclers or is donated or is repaired and resold. Um, but we just put destroy on the pallets in the warehouse so that people know where to put stuff. And we're going to change that wording. Um, yeah. Okay. Depends how trustful you are of what an Amazon executive says to you, how much you believe that. Um, but there is a suspicion that an awful lot of the really cheap stuff you send back to Amazon just gets thrown away. You know, it does. Um, which is, is very, very concerning because you, you know, you and I are both technically responsible and we, we have some awareness of the environment and that sort of thing. And we don't really want that to happen. I mean, the reality is if we were really cared about the environment, we wouldn't use Amazon in the first place. But there you go. That's so convenient. Speaking of um, big companies and trust, mm. you know, this story is everywhere right now. And, and let's be honest, the average tech person out there that's listening to this show um, may be misinformed simply because of the wildly different headlines and stories and articles being written and talked about on YouTube and on other podcasts about what Apple has done here. And it is, um, Apple's come out with this thing where they're going to start scanning for child abuse and child porn yeah. pictures. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the the difficulty with this story is, yes, it's it's far more nuanced than can fit to a headline or even the average tech supporters, tech writers' first couple of paragraphs because they want to grab the reader in the first couple of paragraphs. And the problem is it's been wildly misreported. The You know, the, 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 the summary thing that people are screaming about is, yeah, Apple's going to scan all your pictures for porn. Uh, well, people for child, go, oh, child, child porn. porn. Well, yeah, but child porn, but it, it's for porn, isn't it? And they, the problem is... People who um, have porn on their phones or worry will worry that they inadvertently will do something that we flagged as child porn because they have somebody on there who looks particularly young or something like that. And, and obviously, if you start looking for naked bodies, it's one step beyond kids' naked bodies to adult naked bodies. That's what that's one of the reasons people are getting so upset about this is because they're worried about their personal privacy is being invaded by Apple. But the, unfortunately, the reality of the story is far different than that. Apple is, I, Apple has got a two-pronged strategy here. First of all, they want to 
pushback against law enforcement and politicians, particularly in the states where they operate, who say Apple's encryption and their end-to-end encryption means that we can't catch child abuse. So they have come up with a system that is specifically designed to identify child abuse images while not breaking people's privacy. Um, And the fact that they're even doing that obviously has upset some privacy organisations who say, as soon as you do anything like that, you're opening up a back door, which is, depending on your interpretation, might be very slightly true, but then it's child pornography. So what, you know, what, what do you want to do? It, the difficulty is, is it very difficult to, I think it's a really fine line to defend people's privacies while in this circumstance, while not making it sound like you're saying, oh, well, you know, child, child um, pornography is the price you have to pay for protecting people's privacy. But the system they have is, for, and the other thing is there are two systems that Apple are implementing, talking about implementing here. One is not to do with child pornography but it's to do with child abuse and that is uh, and also for they're also trying to deal with sexting so what they're doing is they're saying that if you opt in for a child account that's under 12 and they use iMessage then they will on the phone scan those scan any pictures going through iMessage for anything that looks like nudity and then we'll flag that up if they if it looks like that's happening and the reason behind that is to try and stop creeps basically talking young kids into uh, and and when i say creep it might not even be it might be peers as as well as child as you know adult child abusers but they're trying to stop discourage young kids from sending naked pictures themselves through our message and yeah and it's very hard i think for even the most privacy conscious to argue against that because that sounds like a very good thing to do it is yeah and and and, and it and it is running on the phone it's using the right. ai processing on the phone it's not being done in the cloud yeah um and what they what they're going to be doing is they're just going to be blocking the images they're not going to be reporting it to anybody they're not going to be flagging it up to parents they're just going to say if the, if the phone de- thinks that it's a naked image and the and the user of the account is under 12 they're just not going to send or receive the image Right. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is this other thing, which is the scanning and the fingerprinting. And with the fingerprinting, what they're going to do is the National Center for Child Abuse has a database of known distributed child pornography images. And what they what they do is they hash those, they cryptographically analyze them and produce a cryptographic fingerprint of each one. They, they're going to share that database with Apple. Apple's going to put it on your phone and then Apple's going to run its own on the phone processing of images in your library. If they go up to iCloud and it's going to say it's going to flag um, to itself any images that match. Right. So the, the images have to be identical. And when if it finds a match, what it's also going to do is say what it calls a, a safety voucher, which is a low res copy of the image. And then if you have a set number of too many of these and it looks like you might be collecting child pornography images, then that will be flagged up to Apple and then somebody um, will, will be in touch to discuss that with you and to look at the images and that sort of thing. Oh, tell so, me about the worst job in the world. Well, yeah, it must be. But that like, anybody, be anybody, but, yeah, any, anybody who works in child protection has to deal with this stuff oh, on a regular what, basis. I, I'm, I'm all for child protection. I'm a father of four. Um I, I I don't I couldn't do that job. I no, would I get c- I would be so angry and mad 
all the time. I would yeah. become a punisher going after some of these people. Well, right? I, I would imagine if you Oof. work in that field, you, like anything else, like doctors who... Reg- yeah, I get you, it, but, you do, I, but... I, I, I don't think I could. Yeah. I, I really don't think I could. I couldn't... Yeah. I, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't see that kind of stuff and, and stay sane. I... I would go but, insane seeing seeing children and oh man I yeah would, I would just oh. and and this is the thing is is you know it's it's about that fine line saying you look at what Apple have done uh, and and it is that for a start they're only looking at uh, for for that second thing where they're looking for these child child image fingerprints they're processing the things on the phone they're only looking at your images if you already share them with Apple anyway if you turn right. off iCloud it won't do this. Right. And that's the permission aspect to basically you authorize Apple to do this is because if you're sharing them in the cloud, you're already saying, well, yeah, I'm happy for my photos to be potentially looked at. Right. Um, But also it's not analyzing the it's not looking at the content of the images. All it's doing is fingerprinting them using this one way algorithm that can't be reversed. So there's no way even if they were to send even if they were sending that fingerprint of every single photo on your phone up to apple and they were giving that to the fbi uh, the apple and the fbi have no way of knowing what those pictures look like because all they have is a is a number right and it's only if the numbers match with something in the database that they know that potentially um and obviously the math on this has been very worked out it's really really unlikely for you to get a false positive under this system yeah yeah but but the, that is what they do now if the you're reporting look for, is if, yeah, the problem the and reporting is Apple is inspecting your pictures, right. looking for child pornography, and, and then it's like, a, they're going to tell the FBI. Well, right? well, that's part of it. The the I think the bigger part of it is uh, companies or uh, countries like China are going to demand Apple start inspecting photos for dissent and for you know. Uh, people in Hong Kong who are pushing back and right. you know so Apple's Apple's response to that is well we're running this system the government is not therefore we can refuse to do whatever they ask so we yeah but can they say, that's the thing well uh, so I, I don't do you trust Apple to push back against the Chinese government going no we're not going to comply uh, well I think by by adopting this system and making that a possibility, I can only presume that they are because they must recognize that that this is, and this is the slippery slope argument, that once this technology exists, you can then use it to try and find for a cryptographic matches of dissenters or, um, you know, I think one of the examples used was these pictures of the uh, president of China compared to Winnie the Pooh, yep. which apparently really winds him up. Um, and he's been putting people in prison for it. So if one of those is circulating, uh, yeah, could, could Apple be asked to identify those on people's phones? Well, there's two aspects to it. First of all, Apple has an out because they can say to people, if you don't use iCloud photo, we don't use this technology. So, you know, that could be saying to people in China, you know, if you don't want the government looking, uh, trying to check your photos, don't use iCloud photo library. And the second thing is, yeah, they could just point blank and say, no, we're not going to do that. Now, that will have ramifications for Apple in terms of their ability. If, they, if the country concerned makes that a law, then Apple has to effectively break the law or stop operating in that country to be able to um, Billions comply. of dollars plus their manufacturing well, yeah, there. But, but the, I, I think they are presumably taking the judgment by putting this out there and saying they're going to do this they have the the what follows from that is they would have to stand by that they would have to turn around and say well unfortunately we're being asked by the chinese government to target dissident photographs 
Um, and we can't comply with that. And they would have to do that publicly. And then they would potentially have to withdraw from China. It would be, you know, a brinksmanship game at that point. But the yes. thing, the reason, the reason I think they're willing to take that risk is because they're calculating that China would not um, be able to legitimately defend that request by dressing it up as some sort of security law or something like this, mm. you know? That's 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 the the thing they're taking. But I can only presume by taking this approach, they recognise that they might end up in that position, and they've got to have the gumption to stand up to it. But what's the alternative? The alternative is that you know if you use an Android phone and you're sending your your photos up to uh, Google Google Photos in the cloud, I can only presume that China's happy with that because anytime they want to look at the photos, they just ask Google, and Google shows them the photos. Yeah. Google doesn't end-to-end encrypt google doesn't have these things in place and this is the the other part of the argument that kind of winds me up is that the alternative to what apple is putting in place here which is very much around making sure that the as far as they can go within the limitations of what they want to achieve they're protecting user privacy the alternative is to use the other company's products where they just don't bother about that because actually user privacy is about step eight or nine on their list above all of their other commercial concerns. And we we know full well that the mobile phone companies uh, and the carriers and everything have been for years, been taking money from US law enforcement to give up all sorts of information about your phone, your photos, your uh, location, where you've made calls, all of this sort of thing. They're happy to sell that data to law enforcement. They've been doing it for regular, regularly for years. So what's the alternative? You either have this system that everyone's throwing their hands up and saying it's a slippery slope, or you have um, all the other companies basically just giving anybody who wants that data uh, because they got they have got subpoena. The point about this system is that still Apple can legitimately say if somebody subpoenas a phone, Apple can legitimately say, I'm sorry, we can't give you access to that phone. Yeah, and we have all these other technical systems in place to allow you to do the things you say you need to do to protect people without giving people carte blanche access to the phones. I think and, Apple and, has been a little bit tone deaf in their messaging on this, knowing what the response is going to be from um, probably the news media and you know social media and all that. Yeah. I think Apple, quite honestly, should have sent Tim Cook on a press tour to talk about this, yeah, to get the sound bites out there to alleviate some of the fear that some people are going to have. The and problem is, yeah, the problem is it 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 came out from a leak. Um, it was leaked from somebody, uh, and um, the Washington Post got it and then ran the story, and then Apple had to respond, so they weren't able to get out in front of this. Um, and you know, I my view. I know Apple is all about the privacy thing. My view is there are some things which, like you say, they should get out in front. They should announce they're doing it before it's ready, you know, and have the debate in public and allow them to put their situation across. Because the problem is if it's leaked and then you come out and say all these things, people assume you're being defensive and trying to defend what they view as indefensible. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Uh... So I've, I think Apple's Apple's privacy attitude really doesn't do them any favours a lot of times. I understand they want a buzz around what the latest iPhone is, you know, and frankly, who cares if that's, if that's kept secret until the day? Yeah, but some of these other things that actually have big influences on them as a company, yeah, and they really need to start 
opening the kimono and 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 having much better discussions about these rather than these you know big reveals look what I, we've I done agree. yeah yeah you know and I, and I completely agree with you on that and and it, all the pushback they're getting at the moment is is ultimately their own fault because if they come to everybody and said we are planning to do this and this is how we plan to do it and now we're going to go away and do it they could have managed this conversation a lot better and they then they easily could have gone to any news outlet that was misreporting it and saying no i'm sorry you've got this wrong the way you're saying this is not true that's right yeah yeah but now they are on defense and it leaves a lot of people who rely on apple products to start are you scared now i'm not worried about it you look at any of my photos i don't care i show it you know just go to my facebook i mean facebook is almost a representation of what's on my phone as far as pictures well, with the exception of I take photos of um, car VIN numbers a lot and uh, stock numbers because by the time I get to our well, key box, I can't remember what number I'm supposed I, to I think the reality is we all hope and we certainly all expect that whatever device you're using, that your photos remain your property and don't get sold willy-nilly. Yeah. I think most, most of us in the know recognize that anything we do anywhere near Facebook or its properties, that is not the case. No. Um, yeah, but but for the rest of it, the time, and, and the reason that the press likes to bail in on Apple over this child safety thing is because, of course, Apple has, has had the, the you know, somewhat um, superior attitude over their privacy over the past few years. They say, yeah. we are the private company. So anytime you can put a, you can put a headline together that says, oh, Apple, the privacy company is, is not maintaining your privacy, you know, that, that's a great headline for getting readers. And that's exactly what's happened here. And that's why they should have gotten in front of it by being more open about it. Tell me about um, this uh, recycling of iPhones thing that you've got posted. Ah, yes. So um, I, I do... I'm not the IT guy for our company because we don't really have an IT guy because all our stuff's in cloud and we have a provider. But there are some things you have to do physically. And one of the things we do is um, we have to deal with our old iPhones. We change our iPhones every two years because around about two years is when the batteries start to degrade to the point that you can't get a full day out of them. This has just started happening to me with my iPhone 11, which is due, due for replacement uh, when the next iPhone comes out. So we have, and because of COVID, we've not been in the office. So I said to uh, our office manager a few weeks ago, I said, said, have we got a whole load of phones in the office? We've had levers and we've had, we, uh, last year we changed a lot of phones, uh, a lot of phones for the iPhone 12. She went, yeah, there are a few in the IT cupboard. I said, right, well, I'm going to collect them all together and get them recycled. We sell them on to a reseller. Yeah. Who gives them market market value for them. So I, pulled them all together and, and went through them all last week. And we've got about £4,000 worth of old iPhones. That's that's on what you sell them for. That's not what they're worth if you were to resell them. They're probably worth about six grand if, if, you, were, if you were to resell them on eBay. But I don't do that. What we do is we send them into uh, a company here called Music Magpie, who recycles phones, and they will basically clean them up and resell them. Uh, and we get good prices for them, and it's very slick and easy. You just box them up, send them in, they send you the money. They're very easy to deal with. So I went through all of these phones uh, and you know what? I, I, looking at them all, it made me realize what a great value the iPhone XR is. It, I think it is the best, probably the best modelized, uh, that, that's in terms of value for money, it's the best model that Apple made and still makes. I think they still sell the XR. Um, but, you know, you can pick one of these up for, well, probably about 300 pounds, Something yeah, like that, that, a used yep. one, yeah? 
yeah um and it's got everything the modern phones have got you know it's got the uh the face id it's got the big screen going right to the edges you know it's a cracking absolutely cracking iphone it really is it still is far plenty fast even though it's a couple of years old it runs the uh you know run ios 15 no problem you know, if you want an iPhone today and you don't want to spend a lot of money, I think the 10R is where it is. And I would always buy a used one over a new one from Apple at this point. I think new one's about $550, something like that. But you can pay half that and get, get a good one. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think they're really, really great phones. You can get them in the different colours. And it really is, at first blush, not any different than the latest iPhone. And I think that's what's really, really cool about it. Hmm. You know, what are you running at the moment? As far as my phone? Yeah, what phone have you got? 12, 12 Pro. 12 Pro, right. Well, that's the other Not thing. Not the Max. That, the Max is too yeah. big. Well, here's the other thing, though. You put the uh, the 10R next to an 8 Plus, and it's got a smaller physical footprint than the 8 Plus, but yeah. it has a big, bigger, bigger screen. Bigger screen, yeah. Yeah? And, and again, you look at that, and you just think, wow, that's... A, I, Alexander wanted one when I was going through the phones. He's got, he's got an 8 Plus. And I said, oh, should we maybe look at upgrading your phone? He said, well, I don't want the small screen that I have now. I said, well, the phone will be smaller, but the screen will be bigger. He went, oh, yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah. I'm trying <laughs> so, to remember which one we got for Cole. I'm, I'm logging into my AT&T um, account right now to see, because uh, I can't remember which, because we got, we, I just went through this whole thing not too long ago. Uh, what, do you, what do I look at here? Account overview, I guess, maybe. Um, I just went through this with Cole, mm-hmm. and uh, am I ready to upgrade? Yeah, uh, it doesn't say what I'm So I've used 10 gigabytes with 10 days left. I'm on a 40 gigabyte rollover plan. No, oh, you better on that. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, I never go over. No. I, I've never gone over on my mobile data. I did on Comcast. So I signed up for Comcast True Unlimited, which cost me another 20 bucks a month. So Cole has an X, no. Yeah. Cole has an XS. Right, 10S, yeah. Yep. So. Which it, was the, I think that was the better model than the 10R when the 10R yes, came out. it was, it was. And it was $800. Yeah. Which to me is like, meh, who cares? if you're buying it on a plan it's different because you know they they typically they spread do they spread the cost of the phone over the life of the they plan yeah. yeah so you effectively you're getting the phone on interest-free payments yes yeah which makes it a lot easier to stomach you know i bought my you know? six plus on uh just paid cash for it yeah and then um no i did not i bought that through the plan and then i paid for my eight plus just went in paid cash it's mine yeah. And I kind of like that. But well, then when the, the 12 a lot of people Pro like to came do that. out, yeah, yeah, when the 12 Pro came out, I was like, you know, I really, I was, I was starting to see my eight plus bogged down quite a bit on some things. Yeah. Big thing was Apple CarPlay. I just noticed it just wasn't as responsive as an 11 that yeah. uh, I had just used for a customer, <clears throat> setting them up, showing them how to use it. I just noticed it was so much silky smooth and just the experience was just way better compared to my eight plus. So that was one of the big things. Plus photos are just every phone, every new iPhone has better photography. I get it, but yeah, it was a huge difference. So 
instead of just paying cash, I just went with AT&T's, you know, two years, you know, because I'm not going to upgrade this phone within two years. So yeah. why fork out, you know, $1,000, $1,200 when I could just pay an extra 25 bucks or whatever it is? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can it, understand that. You um, know, but there is a lot of people who, who just want to put down cash for a phone. They don't want yeah. to be on a plan. Uh, and there's a lot of people who like to run phones pay as you go. So they're not tied to a contract either. Yep. Um, so buying a phone makes sense for them. And, and the other thing as well, we've been talking about, um, we are talking about Amazon and recycling and all those sort of thing. Buying a used phone is better for the planet than buying a new one. Well, no question. Yeah. You know, so unless you really need the latest features, um, or somebody's buying it for you, like in my, I've got to be honest, in my case, I will get an iPhone 13 when it comes out because my, my company will buy me one. But if they weren't, I wouldn't. I probably would at this point wouldn't be buying new iPhones. I'd be buying used ones, for for exactly the same reason. In fact, I probably would be running a 10R because it would be pretty much pretty much perfect for me. But the other thing I found out is that a few of these phones were broken, and um, like screen broken or the yeah, back. Yeah, we had broken. we we had we had one with the back broken. We had one with the screen broken. Um, now it used to be that um, kind of starting about. A little bit before the 10R, uh, I think it was the 8, 8 plus time. Yeah, that actually, if you wanted to go to one of these little shops and get the screen replaced, um, you would find that things didn't work afterwards. The Touch ID was the first thing that stopped working because it was tied to the screen hardware. Um, there was, a, I remember, there was a big thing with the back when the phones went to a glass back. There was a big thing. If you broke the back glass, you had to go to Apple because only Apple was really able to, it was glued in there so so much that only Apple could really get the glass out yep. cleanly without damaging anything on the phone. Um, and I remember seeing YouTube videos the first time somebody built like this laser device that basically, basically lasers all the glue away so you could get the glass out properly. Now, what's happened is that all of these things, the laser device for the back glass, the... Um, coding chips you require to actually tie up your touch id or your true tone true tone was another thing where the, if you replace the the screen on a on a phone with an oem version the true tone stopped working because it was hooked into the hardware on the phone correct all of these problems have now been solved by these um by these mobile phone repairers yep. and the price of those bits of equipment to do that has because you know electronics always get cheaper has dropped to the point that most good repairers can afford to have this kit in place so nowadays you don't have to pay apple's prices if you want to get this stuff fixed so i i what i did is we we the the rule with our um phone recycling is that we anybody who wants to buy one of our phones from the company just pays what i will get from music magpie for it but that means if you want to buy a broken phone and get it repaired yourself you can do that um and obviously the value of the broken phone is much less so um i th- i think uh, a a 10R that with a with a cracked front screen, I think we had to pay the company about sixty pounds for. Now you take that to Apple, and they'll charge you another two hundred pounds to replace that screen easily. But, yeah. but you take it to how a, much money do you? How, well, how many phones and how much money are we talking about with this? Well, with the broken ones or with yeah. all of them? All of them. Uh, I, I, the, the total value on trading is, as I say, is about four thousand pounds. That's that's kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, you well, almost it wonder if you can just go on to uh, eBay and start searching for 
super cheap broken phones that you can then turn around and sell to one of these places? Probably not. Yeah, to be honest with you, I think the margins are small enough. While you'd make money, you wouldn't make a lot of money. So yeah. a ten a ten R is is worth about sixty seventy pounds broken. Yeah, and I doubt if yeah. you could find one that cheap on eBay. Well, well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But so so I actually I actually have bought one of the broken ones and sent it off to be repaired, and I'm paying about the same amount again to get the screen replaced. So I'll be in about £140. Now, the wor- the phone, if I trade it in, is worth 190 If I were to sell it on eBay, I'll probably get maybe 250 for it. But there's an awful lot of messing around doing with that. And um, if I had 100 of them, yeah, oh, yes, it would be well worth doing that and I would make a tidy profit on. Yeah. But for one or two, and I'm doing it manually, I haven't got a process in place, it's probably not worthwhile. You know, yeah, I'm so, looking on eBay right now, and I'm finding um, broken glass, broken glass, broken, and they're anywhere from sixty to one hundred and twenty dollars, which yeah. tells me it's no, you're yeah. you, you're not going to make it. Well, the the broken, I had, I got an eight that had broken back. Now that was only worth thirty pounds to the company, and then it only cost me twenty five pounds to have the back fixed. So I've got that phone now for fifty five pounds, and that's worthwhile because. Yeah. Absolutely. I can sell it for probably double that easily. Easily, you know. Yep. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know. Look, it, what I'm one of, the point I wanted to bring across to our listeners is that if you if your phones are broken, don't nowadays don't go to a good reputable seller uh, repairer, but don't be afraid about getting your phone repaired. You'll get it back as good as new. You can get the battery done at the same time if you want to, and you'll have a phone that'll last you for a few more years. Yeah, that's uh, you know, always a good option. Don't yeah, just, and, and don't just throw it in the garbage, please. Well, certainly don't throw it in the garbage. And also don't do what I see people doing all the time, which is try and live with a phone that oh, smashed the hell up. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I, I sold a car. This was maybe two months ago. This guy makes good money. He's a, I want to say he's an engineer. Um, I think it was an 11, an iPhone 11. And the screen was badly broken. And he, so he put a screen protector on it to kind of hold it together. Yeah. So he's not rubbing his fingers up and down broken glass. And, um, he bought a $60,000 car and paid cash. Yeah. Cash. He didn't finance it. He just wrote a check. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, one of the things I do is I sit in the vehicle and teach people how to use the tech and the safety stuff and all the settings, but then I also show Apple Car or uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, depending on their phone. And so I'm, can I see your phone for a minute? Mm-hmm. I said, how long has it been like this? He says, oh, it's it's been about about a year. <laughs> and I just looked at him. He goes, yeah, I should probably replace it. I think, but yeah, no biggie. Yeah, with with that, that's not the money. He doesn't want to invest the time. I said, yeah. you know, you spent well. I, I would disagree with you, David. I said, did you put the screen protector? Well, yeah, I went, I stopped by the store and got a screen protector just, you know, yeah. so I, I don't hurt my fingers. Yeah. But and he I doesn't... said, why didn't you just buy a new phone? Well, they're like $1,000. And I'm thinking, you just spent 60 on a car. Money yeah. isn't the issue here. Well, not what only are you that. Doing? Yeah, this is the thing is for the, for probably double the time the guy spent putting the screen protector on. He could have just got a new phone. Right. He could, well, or he could have had the screen replaced. Right. Yeah. And you don't have to go to a store to buy a phone. If he's just paying cash, which you know, he does. If he spends a thousand or uh, 60 grand plus tax title and license on a brand new car and just wrote a check, you, you, he didn't, he's, 
his phone isn't on a payment plan. No, no. But you know what it is? The, the, the reason I say he doesn't have the time for it is he doesn't have the time. He thinks it's going to be a really hard job to move his data from the old phone to the new one. And there wasn't much on that phone, to be honest, David. Well, yeah, but the uh, thing just is... The, just the regular apps. There was no third-party apps on that yeah, phone at all. But people don't realize how easy it is nowadays. Nowadays, yeah. you just put the phones next to each other, and they send out over the wire, oh, wirelessly. Yeah. I did, this is what I just did. Alexander's 8 Plus to the 10R. It took me about an hour. Yep. And I, I, it just does it. I didn't have to put any passwords in. I, the only thing I had to do was turn off iCloud on his old, old phone. And, yeah. and, and then, turn off and then, Find My Phone. Yeah, and then I put the phones next to each other. One scanned the other. I think I had to put the passcode in for yep. the for the old phone once, and then everything transferred over. Yeah, and it's I mean crazy. Everything. It's just like, and then it's just yeah. like your old phone. There's it's no difference. just like exactly. Yeah, and it took about an hour. Yeah, and and it's just necessary. One final thing I want to say on this, um, because we are running a bit long, is if you're in the market for an iPod Touch, don't buy one. Just buy an old iPhone 6s. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. the iPod. I have an iPod Touch. Um, you remember I got it free from Apple I remember. a while back, yeah? But really nowadays, the screen is so tiny. I mean, it is a lovely, thin, light device, but the screen is so tiny. Go out and buy a 6S. Yeah. You'll pay less money, yeah? Uh, and it will be a much better iPod Touch than uh, no question the real about iPod it. Touch. So, yeah. Yeah. so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. David, it was fun talking to you. Um, we'll be back next week on uh, the Geeks Pub. We're going to be talking about the new Suicide Squad if David gets to watch it before then. I will do. You will do. And then um, there's kind of some cool things coming down the, the pipeline that we're going to be talking about. And uh, next tech fan, I'll give an update on my Plex Media server. Um, I don't think it's going to be very difficult to set up the server itself. I've been reading some... Well, what's the word for it? Uh, how you migrate from a Mac to a PC Plex server? Mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to start from scratch. I think yeah. I'm just going to set it up, and because yeah, it's got all my metadata and all that, but I really haven't changed anything. No, so, I mean, it pulls all the metadata down yeah, from the cloud like, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm no. just going to set it up as from scratch. I'll sign into my account. Yeah, and I'm hoping that that will, you know, that will bring we'll all see. your playlists and stuff that's, like that. That's what it? I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'll give an update on that, and uh, we'd love to get feedback from you guys. It's simple to do. Simply send an email to the show at techfanpodcast.com, or you can go to mymac.com or techfanpodcast.com and leave a comment in the or a comment in the show notes themselves. And we are on Twitter and Facebook. It's techfanpodcast in both place, or mymac.com on uh, Facebook. So. David, I will see you next week for Geeks Pub in two weeks on TechFan. See you then.